You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. The gospel doesn't just save you, it keeps you. You know, I love those words from Jackie Hill Perry, and maybe as you heard her speaking about the gospel and this idea of gospel fluency, you found yourself thinking about the gospel in a way that maybe you never had before. You know, her thoughts give us a great springboard to continue to look at the question that we have been asking for this series, and we're going to continue to ask throughout this entire series, what is the gospel? And now for many, the answer to that question may seem simple and clear. But let me ask you another question. Have you ever believed something so completely that it changed the way that you lived your life? Have you ever believed something so completely that it began to shift your behaviors and priorities? One of the first memories that I have of a behavior-shifting priority begins in a town called Fredericksburg, Virginia. My family had recently moved back to the United States and from Lisbon, Portugal, where my father had been stationed as an army attaché. And we, while we were there, we were adjusting to life in the U.S. And as an eight and nine-year-old boy, one morning I woke up and was walking outside of my backyard and I stumbled across a creature that I had never encountered before. Now, it's probable that I had run into the same creature at other times in my life, but for whatever reason, this memory is so ingrained in my mind. This feels like my first encounter with this creature. From this moment, everything changed. I found fast asleep in a hole in the tree in my backyard, a squirrel. I know, it's earth shattering, this insane creature that I'm talking about, right? But I was so excited to find this furry little creature asleep in this hole in the tree that I ran inside and I did what any eight or nine year old boy would do. I decided I was gonna keep it as a pet and I was gonna feed it. And so I ran inside. The only thing I could find, because I think all pets eat this, are dog biscuits. And so I go inside, I grab a dog biscuit and I run back out to the tree. Now around this time, my mom becomes keenly aware that there's something going on with her nine-year-old son. And so she follows me on this adventurous trek into the backyard, and I will never forget the shrill, high-pitched scream that came from my mother's mouth as she watched me beginning to place a dog biscuit into a hole in a tree to see this small creature in there, and she screams in love and fear and terror at the top of her lungs, Micah, you can't go near squirrels. They'll shoot needles out of their stomachs and give you rabies. We can all just sit with the gravity of this situation for a few moments. But we realize this is completely ridiculous. This is not what squirrels do. But what I think my mom meant to tell me was that if you ever come in contact with a rabid squirrel and you are infected with rabies, we don't have time to talk about the small likelihood of that actually taking place this morning, but if you are infected by a rabid squirrel, 
they will have to give you a shot for rabies. This is me, again, trying to still, so many years later, piecing together the things that my mom was trying to convey to me in this moment. Where the stomach comes in, I'm not real sure, but we'll just go there. Now again, what my mom said was not a true statement. Maybe it meant to be, but it came across to my young ears very confused. And I believe my mom. What reason would I have to not believe my mom? The things that she had told me in the past based on my, my prior understandings of what my mom had taught me about life as a nine-year-old boy, I believed her. I trusted her. And so when my mom told me that squirrels could shoot needles out of their stomachs to infect you with rabies, I believed this to be true. I believed this to be true until my sophomore year of college. Yeah, maybe not the sharpest crayon in the box, right? Uh, so I, I don't know how between the ages of nine and 19, I missed this reality that this wasn't true. I missed this error in my mom's thinking. But sitting in a cafeteria at Liberty University at the age of 19, I will not forget with an extreme level of clarity that comes into my mind when someone was talking about squirrels and me out of sincere care for my friend warned them to not go close to this furry little creature. I will never forget the laughter that ensued. And I suddenly realized my whole life I have believed a lie. Sometimes we believe things so completely that they shift the way we behave. See, our beliefs shape our behaviors, or said in reverse, every manner in which we behave is shaped by a deeply held belief. Whether we acknowledge it or not, our behaviors are shaped by our beliefs. We change our routes to the swing set when we're nine years old in the backyard because the needle shooting squirrels are ever too close. But seriously, what if this is true about other things in life? What if this is true about our relationships, about our faith? What if this is true about the gospel? What if parts of what we know and believe about the gospel are true, but they're not the full picture? Could the way that we behave in relationship to what we believe about God and the truth of the gospel, could, could it be altered for the better if we had a complete understanding of what scripture teaches us about the, the gospel, what the gospel means, not just for our salvation from sin and eternal punishment, but for all of our lives. We probably all have a memory, especially if you grew up in church, when you first heard the word gospel. For some of you, it was when you were young and you were at church Sunday school and there was a flannel graph and you heard about the gospel. For some of you, it was in a record store and you saw gospel as a music genre there next to R&B. For some of you, gospel was said to be someone, was said by someone on TV who was referencing a truth that maybe you didn't quite understand yet. For me, the gospel was first introduced within the context of the church. See, I was raised in the church for many years, but I was not raised in Christ. And all of my life, I had heard that I was born a sinner. And because I am a sinner, I am separated from God because my sin broke God's law and it broke God's heart. And the penalty of my sin, the debt owed for my sin, was and is 
death. So the right and just ruling over the crime of my sins against God means eternal separation from God in a real place called hell. Rightfully and justly, because of sin, you and I, we all deserve hell. The gospel is the good news that Jesus, God in flesh, was born as a human being and felt all the same temptations and hardships that we have felt as humans, yet he never gives in to temptation. He lives a perfect sinless life and takes it upon him he takes sin upon himself and dies on a cross in our place. He paid the debt that we owed. He was buried and rose from the dead, showing his authority and power over sin and death. What an incredible joy that God would love us in this way. This is all true. But for myself, for many years, this was the end of my understanding of what the gospel is and what it accomplished. Now, maybe you believe like I did, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation that affected a singular moment in life, and that was it. My friends, it's so much more than that. If you're believing that just like I was, that is an incomplete view of the gospel. Now, nothing that I've just talked about when we're talking about the gospel is false. Every part of what I've communicated thus far is true. And it's an incredible joy. And it's a gracious gift from God to us, but it's not finished. It's not a complete view. You see, the way that I have been describing the gospel up until this point is as a noun, a singular moment, a singular point or work. However, I believe that scripture points us to the gospel in a way that is much better understood as a verb. The gospel is best understood as both a point and a process. And so what is the gospel? The gospel is an action. The gospel is not only the good news for a singular moment in which we are drawn to the Father in grace, the gospel has roots into all of our lives. It not only saves us, but it keeps us. And there are two aspects of the gospel that we need to examine this morning before we begin to dive into the scriptures today. And so I'm going to give you some definitions for faith and repentance in light of this idea of gospel fluency, in light of the gospel not just saving us, but also keeping us. And it's where we're going to hang our hat today, okay? So in light of gospel fluency, we can define faith as trusting in God instead of believing lies. Write that down. Faith is trusting in God instead of believing lies. We're going to dig into this a little bit more, but basically what that means is that it means that part of the gospel being an action is that we must gospel our hearts against lies of the enemy. And when Satan places seeds of distrust in our hearts, we must choose to gospel ourselves and rest on the truths of God. Secondly, Repentance is living in line with what is true about God. Write that one down as well. Repentance is living in line with what is true about God. And so that means that when we step out of line, 
with what is true about God, when we believe something false about who he is or what he has done on our behalf, when we step out of line with how he has called us to live in the scriptures, we break God's law. That is sin. Romans 3.23 tells us that we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Repentance is when we turn from that sin and the strength given to us by the Holy Spirit and we live our lives in pursuit of Jesus by glorifying God and and making Him known. When we step in line with how He has called us to live. So again, faith is trusting in God instead of believing lies. Repentance is living in line with what is true about God. Now let me remind us of something in case we get too out of focus here. We are incapable of exercising faith and repentance on our own. Left to ourselves, we will choose to believe the lie every time. Left to ourselves, we will choose to believe the lie every time. We will choose to live in line with what our sinful hearts will pull us toward every single time. This is why we need Jesus. This is why the gospel is such good, joyful, and gracious news. And so we're going to be looking at multiple passages of scripture this morning as we examine this idea as the gospel, as a verb, as an action. And truthfully, we could divide these passages at a much deeper level. We could spend a couple of months here. And so I'd encourage you to do that in your own private study. But today we're going to stay at about 30,000 foot and get a pretty broad view. And so first I want us to look in Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 25. And I'm going to read out of the ESV this morning. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Then listen to this, verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creator the worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen what is that last bit there in verse 25 what does that say to us about how the unrighteous acted it says they exchanged the truth about god for a lie faith is trusting god instead of believing lies So my friends, what this teaches us is that sin always finds its roots in unbelief. Wherever you are, would you say that out loud with me? Sin always finds its roots in unbelief. 
Remember, our behaviors are determined by our beliefs. So if in my sin, I walk out of line with what is true about God, it reveals that I am believing lies instead of trusting God. Why would we believe lies? Why would we do this? Why would we exchange the truth about God for lies? I think it's because lies fill the gaps between where we are and where we wish we were. Think about it. When you tell lies, I know you you never lie, right? Think about it. Why do you tell lies? You like to fill the gap between where you are and where you wish you were. Where you are and where you and what you wish were true about your current state. Why do people cheat on their taxes? Well, because they wish they had a different amount of income than they really do, and they believe the lie that it's not enough, that what they have is not enough, and that God cannot provide for their needs. That's the lie that they believe. What about when people cheat in their relationships, or they look at pornography? Well, they do this because they wish that their own relationships were more fulfilling than they are, and in doing these things, they believe the lie that God's plan for sex and marriage isn't good enough, that God himself isn't enough to satisfy, and so they look elsewhere for satisfaction. More than that, they are elevating selfish desires over the love that they pledged in their vows. See, the marriage vows declare until death do us part, not until the, when the death of my desires or the death of my interest or the death of my emotions. When your heart stops beating and you're six feet under, you can be parted, not before. C.S. Lewis once wrote, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. Sin always finds its root in unbelief. When we lack faith or act outside of faith in Christ, we are guilty of sin. And we need to gospel our hearts toward repentance. We need to remind ourselves of the truth of the good news of the gospel and draw ourselves and each other back in line with what is true about God. The Apostle Paul prays this over the believers in the church of Colossae. Look in Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So how do we gospel our hearts? How do we apply the gospel to our lives as this 
action, as this verb moving us toward Christ. Said another way, how are we formed in the gospel? We need to remember four eternal truths about who God is. Now, if you've been around the North Canton Chapel for a while, hopefully these four things are not new to you. But we're going to go over them today. God is great. So I don't have to be in control. Often we are tempted to try to sit on thrones that we have no business sitting on. We are often tempted to try to operate as little gods, having sovereignty and dominion over the ongoings of our lives. For others, maybe you are quick to lose control, or maybe you're quick to panic whenever things seem out of control. And so during this season of unrest that we've been in, uh, I know that I have personally had to keep gospeling my heart with the truth that God is great because I at times have felt completely out of control. And for a bit there, I tried so desperately to grab onto the reins and make things work in my own will. I was believing the lie that God wasn't in control. And so I needed to repent and realign my heart with the truth that God is great. And the way that we realign our hearts with truth is to look to the truth of the scriptures. And so this morning, I'm going to read through a couple of scriptures. You can write down these references. They're going to be on the screen, but I encourage you to read these with me as we think through God is great. So I don't have to be in control. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 16.4, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Proverbs 16.9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Isaiah 45, 6 and 7, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these things. God is good. So I don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction. This is the second truth that we need to hold to as we gospel our hearts. Do we truly live as if God is the greatest thing that we could ever experience? Do we long for more time with Jesus than anything or anyone else? Do we long for the guidance of the Holy Spirit more than we do the latest viral video? Do we seek to understand the scriptures more than we seek to understand other things or the chaos that may be our news feed? See, everything in this life will fail us. Everything in this life will fail us, even good things. Your spouse will fail you. Your children will fail you. Your parents will fail you. Your siblings, your friends, your pastors, your job, even that pinky promise from your friend in fifth grade, <laughs> it's going to fail you. You will fail you. Food rots. Our bodies degrade. Our cars break down. Homes fall apart. Do you see it? When we place our trust in these things, we believe the lie that God is not good. 
We believe the lie that he is not good enough for us. God is the only one who can completely and totally satisfy us. Let's look at some scriptures to remind our heart of this truth this morning that God is good, so we don't need to look elsewhere for satisfaction. Psalm 16, 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isaiah 58, 11, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. John 4.14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then Matthew 5.6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. May we all realize that we are chasing our tails in vanity when we pursue satisfaction in any one or anything or any place apart from God. The third truth is that God is glorious, so I don't have to fear. Proverbs 29, 25 reminds us, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And then 2 Timothy 1, 7 reads, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. See, when we believe the lie that God is not glorious, when we believe the lie that he is not all powerful, that he is not enough to sustain us, we will always crumble underneath the fear of the unknown. God is glorious. He is all powerful. He is our protector. Psalm 3 describes God as the shield about us, this lifter of our heads. He is our safety and our security. Does that mean that we will never face hardship, hurt, or harm? Absolutely not. But what that does mean is that when hardship comes, we don't have to fear. When hurt comes, whether emotional, physical, mental, or spiritual, we don't have to fear. When harm comes to us, we don't have to fear. Why? Because our God is glorious. Let's look again to the scriptures, Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? God is glorious. God is also gracious. This is the fourth truth for us to hold to as we gospel ourselves. God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself. 
Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that can pardon and cleanse within. Grace that is greater than all our sin. We've sung this and we hold to this truth. Titus 2.11 reminds us of this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And Paul writes to us in Ephesians 2 verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Do you see why we look to Scripture? Why we look to truth to realign our hearts? The grace of God. You know, I I tell you what, we could be here for years talking just about the grace of God and we could never exhaust it. We could spend decades seeking to understand its depths and never truly find the bottom. If mortality were not a limit for our fragile earthly bodies, there is no doubt we could spend all of our immortality in awe of the grace that God has blessed us with. That the God of all creation, the seen and the unseen, the God that spoke the stars that are larger than our solar system into existence, the God that created the smallest microscopic organism invisible to the naked eye, the God that causes quantum physicists to dig deeper to unlock the mysteries of the cork, breathed life into dust and formed us so that we might live with a purpose set before us by him, so that we might know him and love him. This is grace. And when, when, and when we in our sin spit in his face with our pride, when we crush thorns into his brow with our selfishness, when we nail spikes through his wrists and his feet with our lust and our lies and idolatry, when all of this and more was placed upon the lamb without blemish, the holy, righteous, and blameless son of God, Jesus, he took it upon himself willingly. Why? Why would one who knew no sin become sin for us? Why would he show us such love when we are so undeserving? Why would he grant us this forgiveness when we were unquestionably guilty of wrongdoing him in every way? Why? Because God is gracious. Because God is gracious, we have nothing to prove because we don't have anything to bring to the table. It's like the hymn that we often sing, Rock of Ages, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Why such grace? Why is God so gracious? Because the Father looked on his own And this great, good, glorious, and gracious God looked upon us with love and he offered us grace. We have nothing to prove because we are unable to prove ourselves righteous. We must instead look to the one who has proven everything on our behalf. The one who stands even now before the Father. The one who shed his blood so that we might have life to the full. We sing it often, Jesus paid it all. 
It's all to him I owe. Where sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. God is gracious. He is gracious to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Nothing in your hands you bring. So today, would you hear this truth of God's grace and would you respond to it? I believe that the Father calls his children home and if today you hear the Spirit stirring in your heart, you know it, you can feel it. Would you remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus for your sin? Would you cry out in prayer from your heart with a simple prayer, Father, I have sinned and need your grace. I come to the table with nothing. I'm dead in my sin and need a savior. Jesus, be the forgiver of my sin. In spirit, would you be the leader of my life? Guide me into truth. If that's your prayer this morning, would you please let us know so that we can celebrate with you? Shoot us a message or write in the comments. We would love to help you take those next steps and help guide you in this new journey. But as we close our time today, typically we would end our services with a song, but today I thought we would do something a little bit different. There's this ancient practice called Lectio Divina in which you would read the same passage of scripture or the same understandings about God over and over again three times in order to have a greater understanding. And I think it's three times, this is me just reading into it, but often when I read something the first time, I don't know that often I pay attention the whole way. Uh, and at the second reading, I'm starting to begin to crack the surface. And the third, it may actually begin to make its way into my mind and my heart. And so this morning, as we look back at these truths about God, about who God is, I would ask that we not exchange the truth about God for a lie, but we would hold fast to the truth of the gospel that is not just for a singular moment, but for every moment of our lives. And so I'm going to read these four truths three times over. And I'd ask that wherever you are, that maybe you either close your eyes and just listen, or you read these along with me on the screen out loud. God is great, so I don't have to be in control. God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction. God is glorious so I have nothing to fear. God is gracious, so I have nothing to prove. Let's read them again. God is great, so I don't have to be in control. God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction. God is glorious, so I have nothing to fear. God is gracious, so I have nothing to prove. God is great, so I don't have to be in control. God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction. God is glorious, so I have nothing to fear. God is gracious, so I have nothing to prove. Let's pray. God, we thank you that these things are true of who you are. Would you help us 
to understand the truths of your gospel that move us not from just a singular moment, but they move into all of our lives. Would you remind us by the truth of your scripture and by your Holy Spirit? When we try to take control, when we try to look at other things for satisfaction, when we feel afraid, when we act like we do have something to prove, would you, God, by your Spirit, remove those lies from our minds and let us rest in the truth that you are good, you are great, you are glorious, and you are gracious. We thank you that you are all of these things, and we give you the glory. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces, making much of Jesus every day to everyone.